Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we are joined by John McGuire, the CEO of Trip Admit. John, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ryan. Delighted to be here. Delighted to have you. Um, we'll focus on three main areas during this podcast. Early influences, three to four minutes to get to know you, and then challenges and pivotal moments where we really get into the, the value. So you grew up in Limerick. Any favorite standard memories of your time growing up there? Oh, I suppose, well, I, 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 grew, up, I grew up on a farm. Um, so I suppose, uh, you know, one of my favorite memories is, is just the pure freedom of it. It's like, you know, it's the freedom to be able to, to run around, to play, to, to, you know, go out to the door at nine o'clock in the morning and, and turn up when you needed to get fed at, at, you know, whenever one o'clock, of course, we had dinner at one o'clock growing up on a farm. Um, and basically it's, but. Also, I suppose it was it was hard work as well as an mm. you know as a as a child you would have had to you know work on the farm as well. Um, so I suppose early enough influences were that you know the, that there is hard work involved in in everything in life and in, in earning money and in, in growing up. But it, yeah, it was my perspective. It was yeah, it was just a pure freedom of it was amazing. It's. Uh, you, 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 you know, you can't quantify that, basically. I, I'm from just outside of Dublin. I'm from Ratos, so I've grown up my whole adult life. I've lived abroad a couple of times, but um, I've never grown up on a farm, but my girlfriend's family grew up on a farm, and I've spent some time up there over the last probably, like, three years, but particularly this summer, uh, helping out. And it's like, wow, the work that goes into it, you feel like you've done a solid day's work, even after half the day, sweating, just uh, digging out holes and tunnels and moving cows from one field to another field and it's like well the work that goes into this is intense it's it look it it starts at 6 30 in the morning and it finishes like it, you know finishes officially at about 6 30 7 o'clock in the evening but but it doesn't but it's and it's it's cyclical as well so it's you know every every season there's different roles and it's i suppose there's the there's the picture that we have that's about sunny days and and you know it's like the the easier parts of it but when you're going out and and it's like okay there's a you know we have to go and and pick potatoes today that's back breaking <laughs> whether you're whether you're nine years old or 90 years old you know nobody wants to look at that giant field and go okay let's pick these things you know it's uh yeah. and you know getting up and milking cows at, at 6 30 in the morning doesn't matter they they Cows don't take a day off, basically. Um, so everything was, everything revolved, I suppose, around the farm and around work because there was such a schedule, you know. And whether that was even, and you know, with with the weekend that's in it this weekend, even with you know, hurling matches and you know, and all Ireland's etc., there was it was all you know a massive organisation to make sure that you know somebody had to be there. So that's, for example, when we were younger, it was the, you know, if we were lucky enough that Limerick got into the All-Ireland final, one of us didn't get to go. Well, it was invariably, it was me. 
Well, I'm looking forward to the game this weekend. I'm a Kilkenny fan. All my family are from Kilkenny, so I was slightly disappointed a weekend ago against Cork. But, uh, look, it's a, a 45-year drought makes, makes... Like, I never saw Limerick win in All-Ireland ever yeah. until two years ago. Well, so, I guess I've been blessed then through my childhood. I've seen them in maybe 10. Exactly. So it's a, I, I suppose it's a, it's a case of we were, you know, there's, there's you know, there's, there's this... How do I put it? It's a, uh, you know, we were almost there. And it's, you know, the moral victories and all the rest of us. And yeah, that's, that can be destroying. But I, I would say even... Even as we go into into the All Ireland this weekend as, as you know as favourites essentially, they're still in the back of our heads. You know that's like I wouldn't be worrying too much if you're a Limerick fan. I'm not going to lie. Even if Kilkenny managed to beat Cork, um, I still would have been going. I don't think they'll beat Limerick. I think Limerick are just a a, a league above everyone else at the moment. I like to say Keen Lynch and sorry for our British or American listeners, but I think Cork have a massive uphill battle. And unless they can get a couple of goals, which they're not bad for getting goals, they're going to find it difficult because Limerick are just a different different class at the moment. Yeah, I think this year we've 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 practiced at taking goals, which is something that we haven't done previously. So it's mm. a it's a case of and and there is a sometimes there's an old saying that goals win matches. You know, and you know I don't know if I believe it because Limerick have been winning on points for for a few years but it's uh look we'll see what Sunday brings it's uh at least you know, one of us can sit back not being nervous so I'll do that for both of us that's that's true the only thing I can guarantee you is that we'll probably both be watching it on the TV yeah, yeah. you won't be able to go to the match ah uh, the, the, the tickets tickets are rare aren't they yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. so it's a it's a case of I've 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 happily like resolved myself, resigned myself to the fact that yeah, this is I'll be watching it on TV, but you know, which is which is fine. Well, once it's a good game, I'm happy and exactly yeah. Anyway, um, one of the questions I like to ask my guests is around uh, influence and impact. So, can they point to? A small number of people could be one individual or a number of individuals who've had a massive impact in their early life of who they've turned out to be today, whether it's a parent, an acquaintance, a teacher, um, a, a, an old work colleague. Does anyone spring to mind for you? Um, I suppose there, there's, a, there's, there's a, a, a couple of people, but if I was to choose one... Um, well, I, I, I'll, I'll choose two and I'll focus on one. It's like, mm. you know, it's, I suppose my dad was an early influence from the point of view that it's like, you know, he, you know, ultimately a farm is a business. And, you know, and, and it's a case of I saw the hard work that he put in into the farm, but also the realization that it's, it's more than just about farming. It's actually a business that has to make a profit, essentially. So that's a, an early influence. But from a, from a work perspective, I would I would go with uh, my old CEO and, and probably would, what I would call my first real job, shall we say, mm-hmm. which was in Ticketmaster many many years ago, and the CEO in there was a guy called Tommy Higgins. He absolutely amazing, amazing character and amazing person. Um, and this was back in the day when you know people would queue up to get tickets. 
and you know they would they would call the call center to get tickets and i was brought into you know and you know we have this thing called the internet basically and you know like that's how long ago we're talking about and you know there were days when we were selling absolutely nothing online and you know i remember the first day we sold 10 tickets and we thought it was amazing first day we sold 100 tickets and then the first day we sold 100,000 tickets in one day and it's a it's a case of you know tommy really saw he saw that, that you know years ahead of anyone else potential yeah and it, it was a case of you know it's the conversations which would have with with tommy um you know and he went on to become the the you know, CEO of, of Ticketmaster UK in Ireland. So he was he was also in charge of the UK. So he, he progressed up through the ranks in Ticketmaster as well. But it was a case of, with regard to the digitization, you know, looking at, at selling online and how the industry was going to evolve from, you know, people queuing in the streets at, at HMB, for example, or calling into the call centre that this was all going to move online. And, you know, he was right. It's like, even, I suppose, in, in like I would have been in my early 20s at the time and it was a case of um I didn't even see it I would you know I was looking at a website going this will take forever before people really start using this it, it didn't it took five years basically um for the for the whole channel you know the majority of the channel shift to actually happen mm. but Tommy was looking at it you know one step ahead we were looking at selling tickets online he's looking at Eventually, tickets are going to be on, you know, they're going to be e-tickets. And, you know, all the things that we take for granted today, he was talking about, you know, years in in advance, basically. Um, And he was always looking at what's happening in the States or what's happening around the world. And, you know, of course, we were part of a much larger organization. So we're able to learn from Ticketmaster in the States and, and, you know, essentially countries that were, you know, probably two years ahead of us in terms of digitization. And obviously digitization is, is my my area, shall we say. So, and, you know, it, it was a case of this, you know, each little piece of the puzzle, he put in the infrastructure, he put in the people, he put in, you know, before or, before or I suppose, or at exactly the right time when they were required, you know, and looking at how do you change, a, how do you change, a business, you know, especially a distribution channels and sales channels, going from largely selling through to retail stores to largely selling over the web. Um, yeah. But not just the sales piece. How do we? How do you self-serve online? How you know e-tickets? You know all the stuff that we, you know, as I said, that we take for granted stuff, right yeah. now. You know, it was revolutionary. You know, twenty years ago, and uh, it's yeah. I would I would say, you know, Tommy. To be fair to him, he always kept his feet on the ground. He was always very practical. He was a great boss, really, really nice. He actually rang me at, at a couple of months ago, um, and was saying like, you know, you've gone off and built yourself a, a, a reservation system and booking software. It's like you know, so I've gone full circle now as well. So my my first real job was in the biggest ticketing system you know, in the world. And now I've gone off and built my own, but he was, you know, one of the first people, to, you know, to come and congratulate me, which, Legend. you know, it's, is, is fantastic. Mm. 
That leads me nicely into my next question then, because I'm about to read from my screen. Before you started your business, Trip Admit, which we'll get to, you spent 18 years working for some pretty cool bands. Ticketmaster, which you've just alluded to, online marketing manager for them. O2, online propositions manager for them. Aer Lingus, European digital marketing manager. Eason's head of e-commerce. Um, e-commerce director at Smartbox. And then director of sales marketing for City Wonders. So I've got three questions and I'll ask them, pause, and then ask the next one, pause, and then ask the next one. So the yeah. first one is, with your marketing hat on, what do you think well-known brands do right and what holds them back? Oh, that's a tough one. That's um, What did they do right? I would say, if I was to choose one topic, I would say customer experience. It's like mm-hmm. over anything else, as in, and you know, even before the days of social media, etc., it was a case of if if you get your customer experience and your customer service wrong, it's like you know you're you're destroying your brand. For you know, for me, it's all about and and this probably like when I worked in Erlingus, I looked at how Erlingus put so much into their brand. You know, and the other companies as well, but but Aer Lingus in, in particular, and it was a case of looking at how you know how people look at that shamrock essentially, and it's the the smile that greets you when you get onto the plane, etc. And it's built into the organisation from the lowest levels all the way up to the top, and it's 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 it was fantastic, you know. And for me, I would look at it and go. You know, if I was ever to set up a company, etc., I would love a company that had that sort of ingrained brand culture. and culture, and that lived the brand. You know, like there were people in Erlingus that would would you know people would probably say my blood is green. You know, and you know, and they didn't mean because they were Irish. <laughs> they meant because they work for Erlingus. That's uh, and you know, there's there's there are companies that stick with you. That you've worked with in the past and you know Aer Lingus is one of them Ticketmaster is another one of them it's a, it's a case of where you know, in Aer Lingus the, the culture is just ingrained it's like you know um mm. and I suppose for me that's that's something that and you know that's something that companies get right that's how you build a brand that's how you get brand affinity and people to you know love your brand essentially um and then on your the second part, what holds them back the big brands what do you think holds them back what holds them back that's that's it's I, I, that is another tough question it's it's a case of i do think you some see brands... any of them do anything that if they were to tweak they'd be four steps ahead of where they are and you're just shaking shaking your head in frustration going you're good but like you could do better in that department and if you were to do better bottom line revenue would increase I think from a marketing if, perspective obviously yeah and if 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 i look at it from a marketing perspective it's a case of there's especially in the realms of digitization innovation is key um and you know if you you know and i know it's cliche it's like a you know you must innovate or, or you die essentially but it is a case of that you know from a marketing perspective it's you know any company can go out and do paid marketing and you know pay for you know pay to get exposure essentially um but it is a case of unless you keep one step ahead in terms of of your innovation with regard to both your brand and your marketing 
I firmly believe then you if if anything you will stall or you know just remain stagnant or potentially you know decline and it's a, it's a case of you know when looking at let's let's look at retail for a for a second and it's it's mm. a case of retail um when I worked as 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 Eason's, which is you know a book retailer, um, Eason's would have been the and are the number one book retailer in Ireland. But Eason's put in place a transformational program to bring in um, you know I suppose the new ways that consumers are now interacting with with book re- retailers, and also you know looking at what's happening in the online world. Like you know Amazon was essentially eating book retailers for breakfast. So it was a case of, you know, looking at the innovations that were needed, looking at the advantages that, you know, a book retailer with physical presences actually have, you know, such as, you know, you can operate click and collect, for example, which is something that, you know- Amazon uh, can't. Yeah, exactly. So you look at, you look at, you know, what you have and you look at how you can change and innovate and add on top of and add to what you have. You look at it in, in comparison to, to, you know, the competition that's out there and also to the emerging competition that's out there. And then, you know, it's like, whereas, you know, click and collect wouldn't be considered innovative today. It was considered innovative 10 years ago, so to speak. Mm. So it's a, it's a case of that, you know, and then click and collect comes in and, but you have to keep, keep moving you have to keep moving one step ahead as in you know, do you move into e-readers ebooks etc it's like so it's a it really is a case of that innovation never stops so you know it's a, it's you have to constantly innovate and the companies that don't they're they're the ones that begin to fall behind i believe you know and whether that's from a, a brand perspective or whether it's from a, a commercial perspective Earlier in the podcast, I said you'd spent 18 years at these companies like Ticketmaster, O2, Aer Lingus, you've just mentioned Essence. Um, before you transitioned, or as you transitioned into TripAdmit, were there any skills that you were able to sharpen from your 18 years at these companies that you carried with you today? Perhaps it could be management skills, it could be communication skills, it could be networking skills, anything come to mind? There's, I suppose, a number of different skills. It's one is that, and, and something that I've always um, been heavily involved in is, is understanding how businesses work, essentially, you know, and whether that is, and because I've been involved in, in the online and digital side for quite a lot, it's like, I'm not a techie, I'm a, I'm a commercial person. Um, I realized very early on that if you want to build out the digital infrastructure of an organization, you have to understand how it works, even though that might necessarily be your core competence. Um, mm. So for example, it, it was a case that I would, you know, I would have taught myself HTML, for example, so that I could sit down and have a conversation with a coder um, and know what I was talking about. It's like, you know, it's, it's about looking at the key departments and understanding the key departments within organizations and being able to sit down and have, you know, it, nobody's, nobody's an expert in everything. But if you're, if you're going to be a manager and the 
deciding the strategy for an organization, you have to understand how that organization works, how the component parts fit together and how you can grow an organization by, you know, from the various departments within that organization. And so it's, for, for me, it's, it's always been a case of, you know, innovation has generally came on the digital side of the business, but from, from my experience, and it's been, been about learning how the digitization fits in, learning how you can apply it to a strategy, learning how you can communicate that back to, for example, the, the IT team um, and how it translates into business goals and how IT goals will translate into business goals and about joining and merging the technical goals with the, with the commercial goals. Um, mm -hmm. Don't know if that really answers your question, but it's a, it's, it's a case of, you know, it, it is a case of that the strategy of a business needs to be communicated, but it needs to be communicated to all departments in that is in a relevant means to those departments and how it translates upwards into the overall business goals. Mm. Trip admit, for those who are not familiar, what is it that you guys do? So we've built a booking software platform for the tours and activities industry. Uh, so tours and activities industry being the day tour and activities industry. So whether that is, is walking tours of Dublin or you know, going up the Eiffel Tower or going parachuting. So it's a, it's a case of we enable the digitization of the um, activity providers own websites so that they can sell online. Um, we also enable the connectivity out to the online travel agents. So like Expedia, TripAdvisor, et cetera. Um, and it's, uh, it's, we also have our own distribution where we will power the, our distribution partners like airlines to be able to sell tours and activities in the same way that they can sell car hire and hotels, etc. Mm. So this is an area that's been mm. untapped on the digitization front for, for many years. Um, it's very fragmented and, and the plan is, is to, to digitize the industry essentially. I went to uh, the IT and studied tourism marketing. That's what my degree is in. You could certainly be a guest lecturer in that. I know anyone who studies that degree would certainly be interested in hearing you come and talk. Um, because the common path that you're kind of pushed towards, particularly I graduated 2014, uh, was a travel agency um, or somewhere like the Guinness Storehouse or a tour guide, but seeing the world uh, having sped up since 2014, companies like Chip Admit uh, can give people a different perspective of what they can do when they leave with that kind of degree. Because I never pursued anything with tourism at all after I left the IT. I kind of just got my degree and actually moved to Australia and then I moved back and set up my own business. But uh, yeah, certainly think there's a lot of students doing that degree. And there's a couple of other tourism degrees in Ireland. That I know there's one in Limerick as well, actually, because I looked at that when I was applying for it after my leaving cert. Anyway, I've got three or four questions left for you. Um, you mentioned on Startup Network Europe, a conference that you spoke for a few minutes at, your biggest lesson in 2020 was to listen to your customers. Can you expand on that, what you meant by when you said your biggest lesson was listening to customers? Yeah, so it's it's it was something that, it, it was ingrained in me anyway, uh, but we, it was reinforced into us, especially in the TripAdmit context. We, we did the NDRC accelerator program 
in 2019. Nice. So pre-pandemic. And it was a case of one of the mantras was talk to your customers. Um, so we would have to, you know, or talk to at that stage, our potential customers. Um, so we would have to get on the phones and talk to airlines, talk to activity providers and ask them, you know, do research essentially um, and to validate our product and see that we had product market fit. But that then changes around slightly to listen to your customers when, you know, when you actually have customers essentially. Um, and it's a case of this is a, the tourism activities industry. It's a very fragmented market. Um, so there's, you could have everything from an activity provider providing scuba diving to somebody providing a walking tour of Dublin. So you know, mm -hmm. our product has to cater for, for that broad remit of a customer. Um, so that the, the requirements will be broadly similar, but everyone will have their own unique requirements and unique set of requirements. And it is a case of that, you know, I suppose, Talking to your customers, number one, it's as part of, of customer engagement and as part of our, our customer service. It's, a, it's, it's part of how we improve our, our product. But we only improve our product if you really listen to what your customers have to say. And what I mean by listen to your customers is rather than just talking to your customers and having a chat with them saying, yeah, then we'll put that on the roadmap, et cetera. It, it really is a case of that, you know, your customers are your best source of feedback for your product, especially the customers that you're, you know, that you're live with. They're the, you know, they are the ones that use your product every day. They're the ones that, that, you know, know their business inside out. And they're the ones that, you know, especially the, the ones that uh, have more, I suppose, bespoke offerings. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that with the unique set of requirements, like you, you might get one client that has a unique set of requirements, but you look at that unique set of requirements and you go and you look at your customer base and you go, yeah, that, that would suit that customer, that customer, that customer mightn't be there for everyone. And mm -hmm. it's a case of, so the, our product development, we, we operate in an agile model. So it's, 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 it's which is quite a fluid development model. And basically it's a case of if our, you know, our customer feedback is fed into, you know, our IT team constantly. Um, and it's a case of where, you know, albeit an agile framework has a, has a methodology to it. It is a case of that we always leave room in our roadmap for customer feedback and for customer requests. Um, and in reality, it's, it's given us a better product for us as well. Because in, in reality, it's like, you know, you're looking for a product product market fit. Who, who's better to tell you that than your actual customers? Um, so it's, and I suppose that is something, like I was talking about Aer Lingus previously and ingraining something in, in the brand, that's something that we're trying to ingrain in TripAdmit. You know, that's, you know, we need to listen to our customers. That's, uh, and whenever we're, we're back in an office, that would be written on a wall someplace, basically, along with a few other um, lines as well. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it's our, our customers are key. Nice. Second last question for you, John. Um, there's this tool that I use probably once a quarter. It's called a care tool, K-A-R-E. You just map out the customers that you want to keep, attain, recapture, and expand. 
and it kind of gives you a broad look at where you want to go for the next quarter. Um, and then you can work out how you're going to tackle each one of those. Um, focusing on expanding accounts and then recapturing, sorry, actually focus on attaining accounts and recapturing accounts. How does TripAdmit tackle that? Do you leverage LinkedIn? Do you leverage events, calls, referrals with current clients to introduce you to other clients? Just a broad overview of how you guys tackle that. Yeah. So from a from a, a you know securing clients um, and attaining clients, it is a case of what we've been. One piece of advice we were given early on is you know make you know especially in a startup make sure that you hire really really well mm -hmm. um you know it's it's key like your 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 first 10 hires are, are, are probably the most important 10 hires you you might ever do now when we have a thousand people working for us i might say something different but it is a case of that you know the first 10 hires we've been very very um methodical about who we hired and you know it's part of it is is that we set up and we officially formed in April 2019. Our big launch was March 2020. Lo and behold, travel business, it's like pandemic oh. raging across the world. So we had a choice to make and we, we said, okay, look, either, either we, we look at this and we, we pack it all in or we, we go for it. Now we, we decided to go for it, we, but there was nobody to sell to essentially at that point in time. So what we did was we concentrated on our technology and we hired more developers. We went out and we raised more investment and we probably brought forward our, our IT roadmap by about two years. So we're about two years ahead of where we should be um, in terms of our development. So now we have a product that can compete with the best of them out there, which is fantastic. Um, and it's it's miles ahead of, of where we expect it to be at this point in time. So the key hires for us then were moving to the sales side of the house and it came down to the people. It's like there are, you know, in our sales team, we've had a number of truly gifted individuals, but I'll, you know, not, not to go into everyone. That's, an, you know, we hired, you know, we hired what, salesperson that came from Airbnb and he came in and put in the process that Airbnb put in place to scale their business and you know it's like it was a case of I need you know this CRM system I need this piece of technology etc and mapped it all out and it was a it was a case of for about three months of, of putting the process together and one day he turned it on and yeah it's we just started hitting our numbers from <laughs> and that but also it's something that we can replicate so we've mm -hmm. now expanded our sales team and replicated that process across the sales team and currently we are hiring again and hiring more sales mm -hmm. and now we're replicating it across countries so it's like the majority of our our customers now come from outside of ireland um, and it's a case of then on, on the other side where we, we, and that's for the reservation system for a white label product, which we sell into airlines to be able to sell tours and activities. Um, 
you know, it's a lot of really good people lost their jobs in the travel industry um, during the pandemic. And, you know, I suppose one, you know, one company's loss is another company's gain from that perspective. So there was, there was a lot of good people um, available in the market last year. And, and we, were, we were lucky to, to pick up a number of those people because we were one of the few travel companies hiring during the pandemic. Um, probably the biggest risk we took was that we decided to go for it, but it's, it's, it's paying off for us now. Um, but we, we hired, uh, I suppose, a, a, a seasoned sales professional that has been selling into airlines, ancillary services into airlines for 25 years. And he came out of book of contacts and, and currently we're, we're talking to airlines that we would have never even dreamed of talking to previously. So it's, it's a case of, it comes down to, it comes down to, you know, key hires, but also it comes down to ensuring that those key hires are motivated rewarded you know are, are mm. part of the trip admit family essentially and that's that's key to us as in we're all in this together essentially and that's that's also what we want to instill um and you know that will become harder to maintain as 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 we grow and we scale etc um but yeah I, I think i think on the on the staff front and on the key hires front we that's where we've succeeded Kudos to you, John. Final question for you is, if you were the final decision maker on adding a subject to the secondary school curriculum that's currently not on it, but it would be mandatory, what would the subject be and why? Entrepreneurship. That's a third podcast in a row now I've done over the last 24 hours that I've said that, and it's never come up, and three in a row now. It's got to be a reason. It's, 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 it's. I'm in my mid forties. Mm-hmm. I set up my first startup in my mid forties. Um, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a product of the education system of, of, you know, I did my leaving cert in the nineties and it was a case of, you know, innovation entrepreneurship was not on the radar for me. It was, you know, you will, you know, luckily enough, my, my parents had instilled in, in, in us from very early age, you know, you're going to go to college or university, etc., and you know, get your degree. And even I didn't even know what I wanted to do in college. To be fair, I more did, more did marketing because of I knew what I didn't want to do more than what I did want to do. Um, hmm. But it's a case of from I came out of college and it was all about get a get a job. You know, um, and you know, the Celtic Tiger was was kicking off at that stage. So it wasn't that there was a lack of jobs or anything like that, but it really was a case of, it took me 25 years to turn around working with reservation systems and booking software and, you know, marketing budgets, et cetera, to turn around and do it for myself. Um, you know, which I probably should have done it 10 years before, but you know, that's it. But it, it was never, I suppose it wasn't in, instilled in me, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you know, it, it, if it's a case of that, if we want to, if we want Ireland to generate entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. it has to start at a young age. It has to be in, you know, in people's minds that yes, this is a career opportunity for me. You know, I'm going to go and do it for myself, as opposed to 
in my case, I'm going to go get 25 years experience and then do it for myself. Now, I'm mm -hmm. not advocating that everyone walks out of secondary school at 18 and says, I'm going to set up a business. No, go get mm -hmm. some experience. It's like, you know, you can't be getting some experience and, and you know, um, and seeing how, how the world works and from a, you know, from a commercial perspective, also go travel as well, see the world. It's like, you know, but it really is a case of that. You know, I, I think if you want, if you want the next generation to become entrepreneurs or be innovative, it needs to be instilled in them as part of the, the education system. John, it's been a true pleasure spending the last 35, 36 minutes getting to know you a little better. And um, I wish you nothing but continued success going forward. Kudos to you for uh, going out on your own, especially March 2020, that can't have been easy in the business you're in, but uh, thanks for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, uh, look, it's, it's, we're still here, which is, is the, the main thing and, and actually growing. So mm -hmm. thank you very much, Ryan. Beautiful morning, beautiful morning, babe.